Love Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really enacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email from a person that said, Carol, I have so many things to work on and I have been unsuccessful with other therapists because they don't seem to understand the compulsion behind sexual addiction. What do I do? Well, I'm here to tell you that this is a specialized field, and I don't blame any therapist who doesn't really understand the protocol for dealing with sex addicts or helping partners work through the trauma. And so I'm going to say to you, if you have a sexual addiction, I want you to go to sexhelp.com, put in your zip code, and look for a therapist a CSAT, a Certified Sexual Addiction Therapist. That's what the initial CSAT stand for. It's C-S-A-T. You're going to get a much bigger bang for your buck. You're going to get to the root of the problem and the solution quicker. And, you know, there are plenty of organizations that promote counseling, but very few deal with sexual addiction. So I'm going to ask you to use that. Now, if you're a partner and you've been traumatized and therapists or pastors don't seem to get it, then I want you to go to APSATS, and that's A-P-S-A-T-S, and look for a clinical specialist in partner trauma or a clinical, uh, excuse me, a, a coaching partner trauma specialist because they're the people that are going to understand what it's like to love somebody with a sex addiction and more importantly what it takes to get stronger 
Now, you all probably know that I talk on the show with listeners who have sex addiction, who are in love with people that have sex addiction, or people who suffer from love addiction, or who are in love with people who have sex and love addiction. But you may not have known that I oftentimes work with clinicians. They tune into the show, too, to hear what the experts have to say. What are the new and upcoming books? You know, what are the new treatment centers? And where can they learn more about sex addiction, love addiction, um, and partner trauma? And I've got a good friend who is uh, who contacted me and said, Hey, Carol, I wanted you to be aware that we have a workshop on June 2nd on problematic sexual behavior and sex and love addiction. And it's for therapists, members of the helping professions, clergy, family members, or any persons interested in the topic. And i got to tell you, this is at the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Fredericksburg in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So if you live in that area, you might look at this amazing workshop that's going to help to understand how out-of-control sex and love addiction creates many, many issues that affect not only the addicts, but also the partners. And they have a speaker who is Kara W. Tripodi. She's an LCSW. That's a licensed certified sexual, um, sexual social worker. She's the president and owner of STAR, which stands for Sexual Trauma and Recovery. And that organization specializes in problematic sexual behavior, sex, love, and relationship addiction, and partners of those impacted by betrayal. She has experience working with individual and groups for 25 years, and she speaks nationally on topics of -of out-of-control sex and partners of intimate betrayal. You know, she pioneered the first intensive program for partners of sex addicts, yay, and that was at Pine Grove Behavioral Health Care. And if you've heard of Pine Grove, you know that Pine Grove is where Tiger Woods went. And Dr. Carnes, Dr. Patrick Carnes, actually worked there for a long, long time. And Kara Tripodi is the co-author of Intimate Treason, Healing the Trauma for Partners Confronting Sex Addiction. And that, of course, is a book written by Claudia Black also. So they did that together. And she contributed to Mending a Shattered Heart, a guide for partners of sex addicts, which I got to tell you is Stephanie Karn's book. So this woman obviously has a, a wealth of information. And this workshop is only $55. It runs from 830 to 430 on June 2nd, 2017, and when you go, the objectives are to learn more about problematic sexual behavior and sex and love addiction, as well as to identify the role trauma plays uh, when dealing with interventions. 
It's going to help partners deal with triggers. It's for clinicians so that they can get familiarized with treatment options and community support groups. And, gosh, for $55 for a whole day, if you're in that Fredericksburg, Virginia area, I highly recommend that you contact Brian Vaughn. And he can be reached at Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-A-N dot Pax at gmail.com. And he'll tell you more about information about this workshop and how you too can register. All right, you can always go to restorepeaceva.weebly.com. And that's a web page for online registration. And I just told them I'd do a shout-out for them because I really believe in the community learning more about sex addiction, sex and love addiction, and partner trauma. That's what this show is all about. Now, you know, I I work intensely with couples who are trying to get through the trauma of communication that occurs between sex addicts and and you know they've been traumatized and they're they're doing their check-ins they're doing their dailies they are trying to restore a sense of trust a sense of honesty and a sense of communication and unfortunately one of the things that happens is that a partner can feel like gaslighting has occurred and so tonight we're going to be talking about Does gaslighting show up in your life? You know, do you believe that your partner is gaslighting to avoid what's really going on in his or her life? Now, you know, gaslighting comes from the movie. I wish I had the entire name of the movie. I'm sure I can ask Ross Rosenberg. Gaslighting is a phenomenon whereby... Your spouse makes you feel crazy. For instance, I was talking with this woman, and she said that her husband had said that, okay, this is going to sound silly, but her husband had actually said that his... um, His closet did not creak. And she said, your closet does creak. As a matter of fact, every time I hear it, I get irritated. So it wasn't even about sexual addiction. And he said, no, it doesn't creak. It doesn't creak any more than yours does. And she said, are you kidding me? And she went to her closet door and she flung it open and shut, open and shut. And there was no sound. And then she flung his open and shut, open and shut. And it had an irritating sound. He was exhausted and wanted to go to bed. And the next morning, they get up and she says, i got to tell you, I, I don't know how you could deny reality like that and make me feel crazy for hearing something that absolutely was there. And interestingly enough, he looked at her and he said, I didn't say that. Yeah, my closet makes a horrible noise. I didn't say that. 
And she said, oh, my gosh, first I feel crazy because you deny it, and now I feel crazy because you're saying that it does. And I'm not sure why you're trying to make me feel crazy. Now, here's what I know to be true. I know that sometimes our spouses want to deny things because they don't want the conflict. And then, whether it be 10 minutes from now, 20 minutes from now, two hours from now, the next day, they will deny that they said that because they don't want the conflict, so they're going to agree with you. And now, all of a sudden, you felt crazy. You have felt like your partner was basically saying to you, you're crazy. I didn't say that. And they will defend their position till the end. Well, I got to tell you that Ross Rosenberg is an expert at talking about gaslighting. And it truly is a complex and well thought out brainwashing strategy utilized by highly manipulative narcissists. Now, he has studied the narcissist. I'm telling you, people will do this in a marriage anyway. And if somebody's got an addiction and they're hiding something from you, they will do it to minimize, rationalize, and justify than hiding from you. You know, it's not like they want to make you feel crazy, but they don't want to acknowledge their own responsibility. So I can't wait to talk to Ross about what he knows to be true in terms of gaslighters. And he's going to go from the extreme point of view, and then I'm going to talk about couples that do this whenever there is a major deception involved. And you can listen to the show and think about, does this happen in your marriage? And more often than not, what do you need to do to restore your sense of sanity so that you don't feel like you're going crazy? And so that you can absolutely combat that notion that your own reality is not true. And Ross is going to help us with this. He is an expert in the field, and he certainly has done workshops. He's written books. Um, This is really an area of his own expertise. So, Ross, welcome so much to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. How are you tonight? Well, it's so glad to be on your show. I'm so glad to be on your show again. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Well, you know, we ha- we've had so many fascinating um, conversations in the past about sex addicts and about spouses, and and you have really taken on this notion of gaslighting. And for some of our listeners, this is the first time they've ever heard it. And then for others, especially if you're a partner of a sex addict, you may have read a lot about gaslighting. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved in gaslighting and what you know about this subject? It's actually kind of a a very interesting process just for me to um, understand. Um, When I first heard this topic, it was, everyone was talking about it, and I was thinking it was one, another one of these pop psychology topics that, you know, kind of hits the, um, the Internet. And the more that I thought about it, the more I started to see it in my clients who are 
codependent, which I actually um, have renamed to people with self-love deficit disorder. And I started to see that this phenomenon that people um, use to hurt others is present in relationships um, that go all the way back to their childhood that create what we know as codependence or self-love deficit disorder. And the more that I dug into this, I realized this is a primary um, manipulative relationship tactic that pathological narcissists use in order to control others that begins all the way back in childhood. And that the person who is susceptible to gaslighting as an adult was gaslit as a child by the, a narcissistic parent that made them vulnerable to adults as they got older. Well, and I know that you're really sensitive to the fact that a lot of partners have not been codependent. They fell in love with somebody who was really good at deceiving them, and they had no idea that the deception was going on until the discovery. So we're not talking about you, um, spouses of addicts who had absolutely no idea. But you are saying, Ross, that there are a certain part of the population that suffer from what you call self-love deficit disorder, and that actually started in childhood. Can you give us some examples of what that might look sure. like? Yeah, and and as you as you kind of said there that you know this codependency thing is a is not what I talk about. It's pejorative. It's judgmental, and it leaves a person feeling kind of shameful. But um, what I did was um, working with these clients who identify themselves as codependent because there was no word other to explain it. I started to see that the problem was that they were habitually attracted to people who were narcissistic. So I was able to reconceptualize and redefine the problem that this is this is. Um, a personality type of a person who's altruistic, loving, trusting, kind, giving, wanting to help someone, and they seem to be pulled unconsciously in the direction to someone who's narcissistic. And I wrote about that in my book, The Human Magnet Syndrome, Why We Love People Who Hurt Us. But three years after writing the book, I did some more research and some more thinking, and I started to put together an explanation for why um, people who have, are habitually and almost reflectively attracted to these type of people, and it goes back to their experience or relationship, um, their attachment experience with their caretakers or their parents. If you were raised by a parent who was a pathological narcissist, you didn't get a chance to attach, to have an, an experience where you felt unconditional love, safety, and regard, and so to survive your childhood, you had to figure out how to be the person that your narcissistic parent needed you to be. The child who survived and was able to make or, or, or to convince their parent to love them had to mold themselves in the version of what the parent needed. And that child learned that they are only lovable by what they do and how well they please others. And they come out of a childhood with, with conditional love but they don't ever learn that they are lovable just for who they are. And very deep in their core is this shame and this loneliness and this lack of self-love that only comes from positive attachment experiences. 
So at the core of self-love deficit disorder, formerly known as codependency, is a person who carries around a lot of shame, loneliness, and a lack of self-love. So instead of solving this pattern of always falling in love with the wrong person and trying to solve it just by telling people it's wrong, it's bad, you should just choose other people, I was able to trace the problem back to its beginning, which is this early childhood experience where they never learned that they were lovable. So that's where I got the term self-love deficit disorder. Got it. And so just for sake, our listening audience may not really know what narcissist means. You know, you have narcissistic personality disorder, and then you have sure. someone with narcissistic features. So describe that. Yeah, and, and one, of, one of my challenges was to write this book, The Human Magnet Center, in a way that would categorize people that would um, appease um, professional psychotherapists as well as um, the general audience. And so for me, everything that I write is based upon clinical, psychological research and information. So what I did was in the book, I created this category that I would later call um, pathological narcissist. And that includes three personality disorders. That's borderline personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder, as well as an active addict. Those four groups um, are the pathological narcissists that most people with self-love deficit disorder fall in love with, are attracted to, or feel powerless when in a relationship with. So when I talk, so when I talk about pathological narcissists, I'm referring to that group. But I wanted to create a continuum because I didn't want to diagnose everyone as either a narcissist a codependent or SLD, because not only do people heal and get better, but sometimes they go backwards. So I created what I call my continuum of self theory that, that very simply using math has a continuum of two opposite personality types, a caretaker and a care needer, a selfish person and a selfless person. And in that continuum, we have the very, most pathological caretaker, person with SLDD, self-love deficit disorder, and on the other end is the pathological narcissist. And everything in between are possibilities. So it allows for an explanation of having a problem and not being pathologized. And not everyone has a personality disorder, and not everyone has self-love deficit disorder, but you can fit somewhere on that continuum. Well, and I'm going to ask you for our listeners who may wonder where they fit on that continuum, do they get your book, Human Magnet Research? Tell me what that is again. It's It's a human magnet syndrome, why we love people who hurt us. And, yes, there is a chapter on the continuous self-theory. And and the cool thing about the continuum, I may say, there is is a math about it. And, And this is coming from a guy that never got past the eighth grade math. But okay. in order for in order for a, a relationship to be stable, which means you're likely to stay with that person, that could be healthy or not, the numbers have to equal zero. So on this continuum, at the very end, on one side, on the caregiving is a negative five. That's as far as it can go. And all the way on the other side is a positive five, which is as far as it goes on the self side. 
So this person with self-love deficit disorder or codependency is negative five. And a person with pathological narcissism is positive five. And that is a zero, and that represents numerically, mathematically, how the human magnet syndrome works. The attraction has to be equal to zero. And that shows why healthy people come together and why people who struggle psychologically come together. Okay, and so now just help us, because you know I'm an APSAT, so I am a clinical um, counselor who works with partners, and we ascribe to the fact that there are plenty of partners that really were healthy. They married somebody who was not healthy mm-hmm. who duped them. And so mm-hmm. how does that fit into your continuum? Um, so so it, it, it um it's actually uh, very simple. Everyone fits on the continuum. So okay. if, you, if you are, if you can be a sex addict and you can have a raging personality disorder and be, and for, for, for that matter, you can be a sociopath. That would be a plus five. What I say in this, and this upsets a lot of partners, and, and I don't mean any harm, um, if you fall in love with a narcissist, you fall in love with a sociopath or someone with borderline personality disorder, there's probably something about you that explains the relationship uh, attraction. It has nothing to do with um, the person uh, lying and cheating and hurting you. It only explains why people tend tend to fall in love with similar similar personality types. And I am not saying that if you are on the SLDD side and you are Mm -hmm. severely caretaking and altruistic and someone is a sociopath and he also is a sex addict, it doesn't mean it's your fault. all All it explains is the pattern of falling in love with a certain personality type. It still holds the sex addict 100% responsible for everything he or she did. It merely explains the relationship pattern that happens over and over again. So the partner well, can I be a plus. Yes. I, I yes, certainly think that women in general tend to be caretakers. They tend to be relationship-oriented, and they may mm-hmm. even tend to put themselves last um, and mm-hmm. take care of others. And so it are, are, makes you, are you sense. saying this about partners? Yep. Are you saying this? I sure am. Yeah, I, and I, I, I wouldn't so, agree. I wouldn't agree with that. Okay, tell me what you think. Um, I I, um, I don't agree with the fact that partners are um, in any um, in, on any side of the continuum because partners can fall on one side of the continuum and be altruistic, giving, and loving, like you've said, or they can be on the narcissistic side. Um, or they can be somewhere on the mild side. I mean, they, the partners, um, anyone can, the, someone's personality type is independent of whether they're a partner or a sex addict. I know, I know codependent sex addicts who, um, who go from, um, who duplicate their relationship. They, they never really have a voice. They never know how to communicate. They're always feeling less than, and they're attracted to, like the human magnet syndrome says, a narcissist. And if they learned that when they were children that the way that they handled 
being in this relationship and where they were kind of neglected and deprived, they somehow found a self-soothing behavior that was sexual. That was the, the origin of where the, what would become a sex addiction. So we can have this adult who grew up um, as someone who was going to be someone with self-love deficit disorder, and he or, he or she's going to fall in love with someone who is their opposite. And if that person, according to the human magnet syndrome, is going to be someone on the narcissistic side. Vice versa, you can have a sex addict who is completely 100% narcissistic, and he's going to fall in love with a partner who's going to have self-love deficit disorder be on the caretaking side. And but, the, but it's important to understand that these are the very ends of the continuum. Not everyone is a, has self-love deficit disorder. Not everyone is a narcissist. But the partner and the addict, where they, um, there's no correlation between the sex addiction and narcissism, as there's no correlation between being a partner and codependent. I've seen it go up in many different variations. See, the problem is okay, that the problem, the problem is that the partners get are 100% hurt for, and they have every reason to be upset, no matter where they fall on the continuum. Their personality type does not explain, nor does it excuse what happened to them. So, whatever they are, they're the victim, no matter what, where they fall on the on my continuum. So, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, so now that you've kind of explained your theory behind all this, and, and tell me a little bit about what you know regarding gaslighting, which is a phenomena that occurs oftentimes between partners and addicts. But absolutely. So if we have an addict who is a narcissist, who is narcissistic, and they um, and they are an addict. That they fit all the the diagnostic criteria that makes them a sexual addict. They're they're not fundamentally honest people. They're fundamentally um, um, deceptive, fundamentally um, dishonest, some fundamentally hurtful. If if you are a pathological narcissist and you're a sex addict and your partner is starting to f- catch you and you don't have empathy or regard uh, for someone's feeling, you're going to do whatever you can to protect yourself, which includes twisting the reality, manipulating your, the partner's reality to doubt themselves and to believe that they are the problem and that you were never the problem. And that type of partner tends to be on the self-love deficit side or codependent side, and they are susceptible to someone's BS, someone's twisting of the reality, to brainwash them to believe that what they're seeing is not necessarily true and what they're thinking is bad. And only a person with self-love deficit disorder is going to um, doubt the reality and fall prey to the brainwashing and manipulation of the narcissistic sex addict. Okay, and certainly you're talking um, extremes because I see uh, sex addicts who are not narcissists and I see yeah. partners who don't have this deficit and yet 
oftentimes because the addict is not being authentic, because they are afraid, to be honest, they gaslight to keep their spouse questioning their own sense of self. So, 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 so that's a, you know, actually, Beth, I'm glad you brought that up. So there's a, let me make a difference between lying, cheating, and deceiving, and gaslighting. So what we're okay. talking about, all, all addicts lie and deceive, which is why that I use, when I talk about pathological narcissists, I talk about the three personality disorders in an active addict. You, the, the addiction by itself makes you behave narcissistically. So and so the addict is going to lie, they're going to cheat, and they're going to do anything they can, their source of pleasure, their, their addiction. So no matter where they fall on the continuum, the addiction trumps, and they will do – and the C is lying, cheating, and deceiving. Gaslighting, on the other hand, um, is a much more in-depth, much more layered – a much more planned um, method and system of psychological development, where there is a where there is a lot more than just hiding your addiction. What you're trying to do is you're trying to um, gain power and control over the, the victim, and and turn their own reality against them, and plant narratives that suggest that they are sick or something's wrong with them, or even if they should. Um, not have a problem, introduce a problem that doesn't exist, will lie, cheat, and deceive, which is absolutely unforgivable and unacceptable, and that's part of the addiction. But I wouldn't call that gaslighting. I would call that just really bad lying, cheating. Um, But gaslighting is a systematic use of mental manipulation that has more of a kind of a sociopathic feel to it. They want to get a lot more than just hide their sex addiction. They want complete control and dominance by breaking down the person. So it's, 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 a, it's a larger and bigger pathological pattern than the lying, deceptive um, sex addict. Does that, does that make a little sense? Because in a way, there's a parallel. But the gaslighting is much bigger and larger and, and goes beyond just the addiction. Put together, Absolutely. That it, makes sense. I 100% agree with you. So then, obviously, when people are dealing with um, experiences whereby they feel as if their spouse is telling them that they're crazy, and they know Mm -hmm. for a fact that they know what they know, but they're being told they don't know, that's a form of gaslighting, but it is not that gaslighting that is actually, that you're talking about, that that right. is a systematic and strategic way of making them feel crazy. Yeah, and, 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 and that's like th- these words that we use sometimes have specific meaning, and that's the danger of having something that is not qualified in the DSM that has specific diagnostic criteria. And so gaslighting is a general term that can mean you're trying to, like, manipulate someone and get them to doubt their reality. So, yes, um, you're right. But – the differentiation is to understand, um, at least what I'm trying to explain, is the difference between a lying, cheating, manipulative um, sex addict who will protect himself, his addiction by turning his partner against her own reality. So, yeah, there's gaslighting elements, but the gaslighter that 
I talk about in my trainings um, are people who are much more malevolent, much more um, sociopathic, whether they um, have um, antisocial personality disorder or malignant narcissism or covert narcissism. There is a really, there is a gray area. So absolutely, gaslighting in a, we'll call it a technique of manipulation is used by sex addicts, um, some sex addicts, but it's, it's what, what is the engine of their manipulation is not the gaslighting, it's, the, it's to keep their addiction and keep it from being known and having anyone take it away from them. Versus the gaslighting, it's to control, dominate, and turn the person against themselves. But if you put them together, it's a horrible, horrible combination. So yes, Got it. And then you also talk about the Stockholm Syndrome. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's you know it was interesting. The more I researched the, this topic, because I actually have a four-hour seminar. I, I started off by wanting to write an article. I, I do a lot of articles and blogs, whether it's for Huffington Post or Slate Central. And I wrote this what I thought was going to be you know a thousand-word article, and it ended up being four pages and ten pages. And I started to tie it into the larger scheme of manipulation and relationships. And I started to understand this whole concept of brainwashing. There's no real difference between gaslighting and brainwashing. They're part of the same. Then I started thinking about the Stockholm syndrome. That is when you fall prey to a pathological narcissist with a sociopathic side who um, um, keeps you um, up takes you away, um, ca- captures you. So in the Stockholm Syndrome, you start, to, you start to develop a relationship and start to feel empathy and, and you start to feel sorry for your captor. You start to identify with the captor's um, need and reason and, and, and distorted thoughts about why you were held capture. You, you essentially develop a loving relationship with the captor. Patty Hearst talked about this. So there's a, there's, a, there's a bizarre gaslighting phenomenon that the, that the victim, the captive, starts to be led to think that the captor actually um, had a good reason to do this, and they start to um, believe in their distorted logic, and they feel sorry for them, and sometimes actually even fall in love with them. Um, it's falling in love with the, the captor or and it's actually a lot more common, and, and, I, and I don't really have the, the exact psychological explanation, but when you are held captive and everything is taken away from you and everything is controlled and the only time that you are given something is if you somehow can be manipulated to think that your captor is good, you start to actually believe that out of a, almost a sense of survival, and your t- reality gets twisted around. That totally makes sense. It actually explains a lot of why people are in cults and why we hear about how they felt they became enraptured or in love with these dangerous cult leaders is because their mind was manipulated in that way. Now, you just are a, a wealth of information on this. What got you started learning about gaslighting? That human magnet exactly. syndrome and the narcissism. I mean, what was the um, draw? The draw. The draw was being really messed up. <laughs> the draw was um, <laughs> the, what 
I married two pathological narcissists. And here I'm a psychotherapist trying to tell people how to live their life or suggest how they live their life. And, and, I, and I'm always falling in love with someone that hurts me. It was after the second divorce in a state of utter humiliation. I promised myself that I would not stop therapy until I figured it out. And I figured it out that it wasn't their fault. It was me. The only commonality was I kept falling in love with the same type of person and what was good in them and not seeing what was bad. And so that was the genesis of the human maggot syndrome is to understand that the only way that I'm going to help what I used to call codependence, what I call people with self-love deficit disorder is for them to see that the problem is unconscious and invisible and it's the attraction pattern. And then as three years after I wrote the book, I started doing some more therapy, started to, to really peel back the layers of my own family. And I realized that those people who were narcissistic, they had me behaving and reacting in a way that actually always hurt me. And I started to see how gaslighting was prevalent in the narcissist self-love deficit or SLD relationship. That for someone who has self-love deficit disorder, for them to stay in this relationship and to love the person that is so hurtful, whether they're a sex addict or just a garden variety hurtful narcissist, you have to have been led to believe that there's something good about them and that they really don't mean the harm that they perpetrate against you. And so I started to see how gaslighting was a part of my attachment experience and how I survived my parents, how it was a part of my dysfunctional relationships with my siblings. And it all started to fit in the connection between gaslighting and why loving altruistic will always fall in love with people that hurt them. The, the way they stay there is that their reality is twisted so that they see these hurtful people as being good. And so that's how in my personal life, I, I put together the gaslighting and these dysfunctional relationships and kind of broadened its explanation. Well, that makes sense. And you know, so many of us in this field have childhood wounds or have present day experiences that they no longer tolerate. Sure. And they, they get a lot of education about it so that they don't repeat the pattern. So I'm not surprised and I appreciate that about you. Now, yeah, which is why, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, let me ask you, at what point did you say, okay, I figured it out, I get it? <laughs> you know, it's it's so funny. Um, I have to kind of like make the mistake myself and go through the pain and the shame. It's like, it's like when I had some problems with um, two central figures in my life and I realized they were covert narcissists and I really hit a wall and, and – suffered and I came out of it with this better understanding of covert narcissists. And that's when I wrote some articles and did some YouTube videos. I have a YouTube channel that has five and a half million views. And so I will put these videos up to help people understand things. And, the, and my videos on covert narcissism almost equal 700,000 views. So my point is, as I figure out um, things in my own life, and then I take it to my clients and I, and I start working that into my psychotherapy. And the more that I really get to the bottom of it, the more I'm clarifying my ideas. And then I start writing about it or making a video or trainings. I, I provide professional trainings. I have a website that has 15 full length 
trainings, not just YouTube clips, anywhere from six hours to like three hours that explain whether it's gaslighting, pathological narcissism, self-love deficit disorder, uh, it's okay. selfloverecovery.com. Self-love so for me, it's, a, it's, it's an organic process of, of, of discovering the problem in myself, trying to solve it, bringing it to my clients, and then further, uh, further, I can use a better word than figuring it out, and then trying to create informative um, dialogue, whether it's through a, a radio interview, a blog article, or a video or a training to help people better understand it. Totally makes sense. So now you said that you do workshops, and tell us a little bit more about that. Is that for the layperson or is that for the clinician? You know, I, I've always done this, and, and, I'm, and I'm pretty darn lucky that I can pull this off. Everything that I do, whether I write or my workshops, are right in the middle for the professional and the layperson. And the reason that works is so many professionals struggle with the same problems that their clients do. They're just few steps ahead of them because a good professional like yourself and like so many people I know, we work on ourselves and we are always open to healing and recovery. And so my trainings are just clinical enough um, to be very informative to, to clinicians and, and they're just, um, uh, they're, 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 they're written in a way for the general audience to get it. So on, self, on my, my website, selfloverecovery.com, except for maybe one or two of 12 videos, someone with self-love deficit disorder, um, someone who knows someone who's um, narcissistic, someone who knows about gaslighting, and all the other topics they talk about, they can get an education that far exceeds the t- five or 10 minute YouTube video. Got it. So again, people can get to your videos by going where? Selfloverecovery.com, which is actually where you can get my book also. That's available in, in, in three languages. And plus, I'm also doing training. For example, I'm doing a training uh, in Dayton um, on June 12th. I'm doing a retreat. I'm offering um, weekend intensive retreats that are limited to only 10 people, two and a half days. I'm doing one in May. We only have one opening left, and then I'm doing the next one in July. So there's a lot going on that I'm trying to to help people with that can be seen at selfloverecovery.com. Wow, very cool. Now, as we begin to wrap up this interview, what would you like to tell our listening audience about what you're doing, and what you believe to be true. What I like to say is that it's never, you know, and one of my favorite sayings is by George Eliot, and I'm probably messing it up, but it's something like it's never too late to be who you should have been. No matter where you fall on my continuum, if you have been hurt by someone who has been dishonest, deceitful, um, manipulative, um, yes, you deserve help, and yes, absolutely, it's not your fault. But the way we solve this problem is to figure out what is about ourselves. This is what worked with me. What is it about myself that drew me to believing this per- drew me into the relationship to believing this person was hurtful and then tried to love him? When you can get to, the, get to that wonderful 
an extremely important realization that you are in a dance. If it's like if you are the passive recipient in this dance and the narcissist or addict is the leader, you have to get out of the dance and understand why you felt so comfortable in the dance. And until you figure that out, stop dancing. And the message is love yourself, heal the wounds, and I promise you, your attraction to people will change as you love and grow and heal in yourself. That's what you promise, huh? Oh, absolutely. That's why I call my latest work the, the codependency cure. I've been doing this for 30 years. And my clients who have self-love deficit disorder, if they work this program and go through these steps that I've created, I even have a video on it, the 10-step tenth, the tenth model of self-love deficit disorder recovery, everyone gets better. The, but the challenge is you have to go through these steps, and, and the steps are a part of very challenging psychotherapy and personal learning. But if, if you understand that it's the core shame, it's the trauma, it's the lack of self-love perpetuates this disorder, then you find a therapist who can get to that and help you resolve and solve that, changes that part of you, the human magnet syndrome, that draws you to these charming, likable, sexy narcissists who begin as a dream, as a soulmate, who end up as a cellmate. And, and the only thing that I can't promise is that for it to work if someone doesn't go through and do the very difficult and challenging recovery work. Well, and I know that you and I have talked in the past, and at some point you are going to create some podcasts. I know you've got this wealth of information oh, yeah. on YouTube. Um, will you let us know when you decide to start your podcast series? Because I'm sure my listening audience would love to hear more from you. And, and I will be calling you and asking you, <laughs> pleading with you to come on my show. Absolutely. Right now I'm, I'm working to get a um, – Get, get a whole bunch of different projects going in the retreat. And it's it's going to be tr- uh, turning my YouTube channel to something Spanish, a Spanish YouTube channel. It's coming around the corner. <laughs> and, yes, I'll tell you, Excellent. I promise. All right. Well, Ross Rosenberg, I wish you the best of luck. You keep us posted. Again, your book is kind of the Bible for – codependency and narcissism it's called the human magnet syndrome and is is there a subtitle to that why we love people who hurt us you bet there is and so if somebody says oh my gosh this sounds like the person that i was married to the last time around or the person i'm married to now it's a great Mm -hmm. book to decide are they on that extreme end of the continuum Exactly, and and it and it's not a judgmental book. It's a and the reason the book has sold close to forty five thousand copies. It's because and and the YouTube channel has been so so viewed. It's because it speaks to someone in a way that no one has explained it. It it explains something that's so intuitive that allows people to start to grow beyond their negative patterns. Right. And clearly what I heard you saying, it it starts with childhood. It has to do with childhood wounds. And just like with gaslighting, um, it's kind of chicken and the egg. You've got these wounds anyway, but because of the wounds, you have lower self-esteem and feelings of hopelessness and powerlessness, which then automatically 
attracts you to a narcissist because they can see that in you and they go after you. Exactly. And and, yeah. and it's interesting because the narcissists aren't even conscious about it. The human magnet syndrome is two people that meet each other and they fall in love with each other that they think it's the, it's the best person they've ever met. But underneath the trance is it's the dance. The, 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 the caregiver can only dance with the care needer. Only the, the, the selfish person needs someone who doesn't have a self-esteem and the person who doesn't need a self-esteem needs someone who's going to take charge, and it's a dysfunctional but very perfectly matched relationship that is completely unconscious, and people will understand more about it if they read the book. Got it. Well, I hope that they do. I encourage you, if any of this is ringing true, you need to find out more about this. And like you said, you've sold 45,000 copies, so it's obviously very popular. And, Ross, thank you again for your wisdom and your sharing this information, and, and I wish you the best. Thank you, and thank you for having me on the show again. I really appreciate it, Carol. Have a great night. Absolutely. We'll talk again soon. I hope so. Okay, have a great night. Okay, thanks. Good night. So that was Ross Rosenberg. And again, you can go to his YouTube um, channel where he does a lot of talking about the human magnet syndrome. And of course, as an APSATS clinical care specialist for trauma and for partners, I don't want you to think that you're necessarily codependent. I'm getting ready to see a woman tomorrow, and she said, this absolutely is unfathomable to me. I thought I was married to the most perfect man in the world. And I know there are a lot of naysayers that may say, oh, come on, you knew Something was going on. Sometimes people do, but more often than not, people who are addicted do their absolute best to keep that from their loved ones, and they spend a lot of time deceiving, lying, cheating, and gaslighting. And so I meet with this woman tomorrow, and what I know to be true is I'm absolutely going to take her at my word, at her word, and believe her 100%. And when that happens, it shakes your whole world. You wonder, how did this happen to me? And so I believe in addicts in recovery, and I always am telling the people that I work with, my supervisees, I'm saying, you know, I got the best addicts in the world. They care, they try, they work hard. They don't always do it perfectly, but they're in it to win it, and they're willing to do what it takes to make their partners feel safe. And so when Ross talks about these narcissists, i got to say I don't have a lot of them. But what I know to be true is that they do exist. And so if you think that you had one in your life, if you're currently living with a narcissist, you have to keep yourself safe, you have to protect yourself, and you have to keep working on your self-esteem so that you know your boundaries and you um, exercise things like boundary setting, assertiveness, open communication, and consequences. So we're going to talk more about that next time on Sex Help with Carol the Coach. As I end the show, 
I remind you that there will only be one of you at all times. So I fearlessly want you to have the courage to be yourself. We see you next week for more sex help with Carol the Coach. Thanks for listening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.